Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe, how are you today? I am all set, ready to go, Dan. All right, do not panic, folks. Do not panic. Get off the ledge. If you are on the (laughs) ledge now on your iPhone listening to this podcast, God forbid, slowly step back. (laughs) A wind gust may accidentally blow you off. Relax. Everybody take it easy. <laughs> it was a bad night. No question. Yeah. For those of you saying, what the heck is Dan talking about? Last night was election night in the off-off cycle elections. As I said a couple of days ago, off-cycle elections are generally referred to as midterms. These are like off-off cycle elections in odd years, which Virginia, uh, New Jersey, and a couple places in Maryland, a couple local elections. Sometimes you have these off-off cycle elections. They're very... Odd elections that can have very odd results. Uh, But listen, the Democrats won big last night and we shouldn't put lipstick on that pig. But what we're going to talk about today, what we do on this show, what I'm always very proud of is we're going to talk about things like facts and the data and what actually happened. So hopefully we can learn some lessons from it, Joe, and not whine and gripe and moan. And uh, I think the Democrats, um, you know, as they often do mm-hmm. are going to take all the wrong lessons uh, from this uh, from their victories last night. Now, uh, let me give you a summation of what happened last night and what I think is important and what I think is frankly, you know, in large cases irrelevant. There's a lot of, you know, chatter about the Virginia governor's race. I'm that's not a surprise to me. So here's what happened. Yes, it was ugly for Republicans. Uh, Democrats won the Virginia governor's race, mm-hmm. lieutenant governor's race, the attorney general spot. The New Jersey governor's race, this is not an exhaustive list, by the way, but the things I think matter. Uh, One control of the state of Washington State Senate. They won at least 14 seats in the House of Delegates in Virginia. Uh, This one, put an asterisk in your uh, head on this one, because I'm going to talk about this. They won two red districts in the Georgia State House. Hmm. That's a big deal. I think that's a bigger deal than any of this. Mm -hmm. The Manchester mayor uh, spot, mayor uh, mayor spot, they won the first Dem since 2003. And uh, a referendum in Maine on Medicaid, uh, the Medicaid expansion passed, which is uh, definitely a bad night for Republicans all around. No question about it. Now, that Georgia, two red districts... uh, uh, going to Georgia, mm-hmm. the state of Georgia. Not you know, I, I didn't say that wrong. Two uh, historically very red districts uh, went uh, went to the Democrats last night. That that to me is a is a really bad sign. Now, what happened? Yeah. First, let's do kind of kind of like some 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 good, bad, indifferent, and ugly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Don't panic. Here's number one reason. Here's the one, the first reason not to panic. Trump is the fifth president now in his first, you know, election afterwards, significant election afterwards to lose the governorship in Virginia and New Jersey. So to be clear, Trump is a Republican. This is obviously the first election in those races mm-hmm. since Trump's been elected in his first term. Right. Trump, they, they the, our Trump's party, the Republicans, we lost last night. North, Northam won in uh, Virginia and uh, what's his name? Murphy won in New Jersey. Mm hmm. Joe, this is the fifth time in a row this has happened. Okay, you, mm-hmm. you think I'm making this up? 2009, Bob McDonald and Chris Christie, who was in office in 2009 for his first term, first election, off-off cycle election? Barack Obama. Right. What was Bob McDonald? A Republican. What was Chris Christie? A Republican. 2001, Mark Warner and Jim McGreevy won. Both Democrats. 
Who was in office? George W. Bush, his first off-off-cycle election. You want to go back even further? 1993. Who was in office for his first off-off-cycle election? Bill Clinton. Who won? Uh, George Allen and Christy Todd Whitman in uh, the governorships, uh, both Republicans in the states. And then we had uh, Wilder and Florio in 89. Folks, this is uh, with, uh, with uh, what you call it? With, uh, who's, oh, with George, uh, George H.W. Sorry. Mm-hmm. This is the fifth time this has happened. So don't let's not go crazy here. Let's not act like something. I'm not saying it. Let me just be clear here because I, I hate when people do this and they don't admit their faults, especially the Democrats. They do this all the time. I'm not saying it wasn't a bad night. I opened up the show being crystal clear. This was ugly last night. I took a pretty bad beating. What I'm simply trying to say to you is pretty bad beatings in off off cycle elections are not at all uncommon. Matter of fact, they are the rule, not the exception. It's happened the last five times. Everybody chill out. <laughs> chill. Chill. Okay. Why did it happen? Why? I, I know, Joe. Everybody, like, it, it, uh, you get all these maniacs, like that Rick Wilson guy who is the most virulent, cancerous, anti-Trumper maniac I've ever seen in my life on Twitter. He's like celebrating this. Like this guy's supposed to be a Republican. Ah, this is great. That guy's lost his mind. Well, I don't think he ever had a mind, but whatever mind he had left, he lost. Everybody needs to take a chill pill here. Here's what happened. Turnout on the Democrat side was really, really high. Here are the numbers. The uh, Democrat who won in Virginia North uh, won uh, 97% of Democrats, while Gillespie, the Republican, won 96% of Republicans. So you're saying, well, th- that seems pretty fair on both sides. If, if the Democrat won 97% of the Dems and Gillespie won 96% of the Republicans, almost the same number, Joe, well, what happened? Mm. Well, Dems were 41% of turnout, folks. Right. Republicans were only 31%. And there was a 16% bump in turnout overall from the last gubernatorial election. In other words, Democrats showed up because they're really pissed off. Now, folks, those are the facts, okay? I'm just giving you the numbers. Nothing I'm saying here is speculation. I'm not pulling a Rick Wilson on you. I'm just telling you the facts. Democrats are really angry at Donald Trump. This isn't groundbreaking material. It's nothing new here. This isn't some political earthquake or, as I heard someone say, it's a tsunami of... Tsunami of what? Mm. This is a tsunami of stupidity out there on Twitter with these people (laughs) commenting about things they don't know. Democrats are angry. Yes, this isn't news. They're angry at Trump. This is not news. The opposing party is typically angry the first year of an election when they lose the White House. Now, Gillespie did not do as poorly as people are painting him out to be, but he had some significant faults. And I want to pile on Ed. Like I said about Ed Gillespie, I've, I've met him before. He's a very nice guy. He's not my particular brand of politics, but he's a very nice and pleasant guy. So I don't want to pile on the guy day after, but, it, you know, this is politics. I've lost elections. It sucks. Yeah. I've lost a couple times, man. It really sucks. And it, it only it doesn't do no good to ignore what happened. Um, uh, what do you call it? Gillespie got annihilated in the suburbs, folks. He got absolutely destroyed. He got wrecked in Northern Virginia, big time. Now, he did okay in rural Virginia. But he got just destroyed by heavy turnout in Northern Virginia, which is populated, Joe, mm-hmm. by, as you well know, government employees yep. and a largely liberal uh, population. Northern Virginia is almost entirely Democratic right now. 
So the turnout there was heavy. I just gave you the numbers before. You can rewind the podcast and listen to them yourself. You want to take notes. Now, I will put articles in the show notes, including a fantastic article in PJ Media by uh, Jay Christian Adams, which covers a lot of what Gillespie did wrong in the show notes today. Thank you to everyone who's subscribing. The listeners, uh, the, uh, the subscriber list is just blown up. Uh, Bongino.com. I will send you these articles. But here's the problem, folks, as I see it. Let me make one quick point, too, while we're on the topic of Northern Virginia and these big city clusters. Big city clusters of Democrat voters work on the state level, but it will never work nationally. It won't. Because why? Joe, when you have a state like Virginia, where the population is centered in Northern Virginia, populated by government commuters who commute into D.C. from Northern Virginia, government employees who are overwhelmingly Democrat, right? Oh, yeah. There are simply not enough bodies that live outside of these population centers, these big city type areas and these urban clusters. There are not enough bodies to offset at a state level, Joseph, a state level to offset those votes. Therefore, at the state level, a state like Virginia is going to stay persistently blue, in my opinion, for a very long time. Virginia is not a swing state anymore. It's a blue state. Mm -hmm. It's not a deep blue state, but it is unquestionably a blue state. It's not a swing state. Don't make that mistake again. Now, that works at the state level. The problem at the national level, as we saw from Trump losing the popular vote but winning the election, is it leads to a lot of, it's a lot of wasted votes. And it leads to a problem on the national level that's, that's got a fork, Joe. It's twofold. Mm-hmm. Number one, in the Electoral College, this is not a sustainable strategy. It doesn't matter if you win the state of Virginia by 10,000 votes or 100,000 votes. You know what? You get the exact same number of electoral college votes in the presidency. It doesn't matter where your voters live in the state. You see the point I'm making, Joe? Sure. Now, that certainly matters in Virginia. If the governor wins, if the governor's race, the Democrat wins the race by 100,000 votes, it matters. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter in a national election. That should be obvious by what happened in the electoral college. If Hillary was running for governor of California, she would have done very well. She wasn't. She was running for a national spot where regional voting patterns matter because there are, Joe, shocking to no intelligent person, regional issues. We have a system of federalism for a reason. We don't want California voters telling Wisconsin dairy farmers what to do. You don't like it? Go live in a monarchy. We live in a constitutional republic that respects federalism. So this is the talk you off the ledge part. Don't worry so much about this at the national level because, number one, it's not a winning strategy for the Electoral College in the long run to cater exclusively to liberals in big cities. Works well in New York. It's working well in Virginia. It's working well in Illinois and California. But it ain't working well anywhere else. Secondly, it's also a piss-poor strategy for trying to maintain majorities in the House of Representatives. These are the House of Representatives at the federal level. I'm not talking about House of Delegates or state. I'm talking about the federal level. You're a congressman. Why? Because when you have urban clusters of voters and each congressional district has about 700,000 people. So let's say, Joe, a state has three congressional districts, right? Roughly 700,000 people uh, each. All right. So the state has, say, 20, uh, 21,000 total voters. I, folks, I get it. Just play with the math for a minute. Oh, excuse me. Uh, uh, so 2.1 million, right? Voters. Seven is three congressional districts, 2.1 million voters, right? Okay. The problem with the Democrat strategy of appealing to liberals in big cities now 
is, and I'm going to use a dramatic example, but it'll make the point more salient, is if seven, say, so you have a state now with three congressional districts, mm-hmm. 700,000 voters, each 2.1 million, uh, vote, 2.1 million. Let's say everybody votes, right? right? The problem with being clustered in cities is let's say one of those districts, Joe, has 700,000 Democrats and no Republicans. That mm. doesn't matter at the state level. Great. They've still voted at the state level and they'll offset the other people. I see what you mean. But it certainly matters for the congressional elections because what? You have a ton of wasted votes. Because if there are 2.1 million people in the state, and let's say half of them are Democrats and half are Republicans, that would mean there are 1 million Democrats and roughly 1 million Republicans, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty simple math. If 700,000 of those Democrats live in one congressional district in a state that's half and half, they lose two of three seats. You see where I'm going with this? Because all of them live in one district. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They all live in the city. The There's concert. only 300,000 more spread across the entire state. Right. The Democrats, by strictly appealing and engaging in a far left radical form of leftic, leftist politics, wage floors, hiking minimum wage, you know, quote, free college, Joe, which is only free to the people who go there. Not everybody else paying for it, the taxpayers. Obamacare, high taxes, men in the women's room, all of this social agenda, late-term abortion. This, this may work for you in the city, but it is not a long-term strategy for success. So I, again, I'm telling every, asking everybody out there, cool out for just a second. It is completely unsurprising that they wanted a state level in a blue state. It's, it, not only is it unsurprising, it is the historical pattern. Now, it was a bad night. We did lose House of Delegate seats, and this is why I'm concerned. To dial it back to the beginning when I told you to put an asterisk next to something. The Georgia districts, the State House districts mm-hmm. that were red, that does not explain that away. So you may say, okay, great. Well, what are you going to leave us in suspense? Tell us what does. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm here for. Took a, I put a, Listen, I got up early to put this show together for you all today because this matters. And I know you're going to see a lot of panic on Twitter. And I want to be able to explain it for you. So let me just get, wrap up a point number one first. Reasons not to panic. It was a state election in two blue states where governors won from the party that dominates the state. It's not surprising. It's the historical pattern. The Democrats are clustered in cities. The cities matter in state elections. It doesn't matter as much in national elections. They had high turnout. They're angry. No surprise. Now, all right, you get what I'm saying? So that's why don't don't jump off the bridge yet. Don't jump off the bridge ever, but definitely don't do it because of that. By the way, Caveman Joe was a huge hit yesterday. Oh, was he? Yes, and some point in the future we may have to bring. I'm serious. I got like five emails about Caveman Joe. It was totally uh, unintended. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> so we may have to bring him back at some point and add him to your list of characters. Right. <laughs> All right. Now here's a reason why we should panic. Obviously, the Georgia race should not have been a loss, and the Virginia House of Delegates wipeout, or as it was uh, said to me by a prominent Democrat uh, insider in in, uh, in an email, it was a bloodbath in Virginia. Here's what explains this way, and here's a problem we're having now. Anger is a real thing, folks, okay? It's not a joke. Anger does motivate people to vote. I'm, it, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean that in a bad way, even though I'm talking about Democrats right now, which usually surprises me. People get angry when they lose races. Yeah. They feel like they're under attack. Their ideology is under attack. Their way of life is under attack. This works for both parties. It's not exclusively a Democrat phenomenon. Oh, Democrats are... Republicans were angry after Obama won. And we started the Tea Party and we won elections too. Matter of fact, we took back the House of Representatives. Anger is a very real thing in a very real world and it is a very real motivator to action. Now, 
Democrats are angry about Trump. But, Joe, what was the offsetting legislative accomplishments that made people's lives better enough that it muted some of the anger on the Democrat side, number one, and number two, got passionate Republicans out there to vote? And the answer is nothing. (laughs) Zippo. If you're going to analyze this election appropriately and properly, I want you to envision four separate boxes of people, four silos. All right. Passionate Democrats, loose Democrats. I mean loose. I mean that they're loosely tied to the party. Loose Republicans. I don't call them moderates because I just call them, they're loose. They're loosely tied to the party. They'll go either way. Loose Republicans and passionate Republicans. Now, to win an election, you need 51%. You need 50 plus one. What is motivating Democrats? You have passionate Democrats voting because they hate Trump. That's mm-hmm. it. They hate Trump. They hate everything he stands for. They don't even know most of what he stands They just hate Trump. They're going to show up no matter what. What is that? 20, 22, 23% based on some Gallup yeah. polling. It doesn't matter. Say it's a quarter of voters. They're going to show up. You now have loosely affiliated Democrats who, Joe, don't like Trump either. But they don't like Trump enough to show up and vote against him mm-hmm. if they had something positive to vote for. Think of the Reagan Democrats. Reagan won in 1984 in the, one of the biggest landslides in electoral history, despite the fact that the media painted them the same way they're painting Trump. Dumb, stupid. Reagan won every state uh, uh, but uh, Minnesota in his re-election, where Mondale was his home. He only won that state by, uh, and he won by uh, just 3,000 votes, Mondale. It was his home state. Reagan won re-election because those moderate Democrats, loose Democrats, I should say, is a better way to say it, who are loosely affiliated to the party, Joe. Mm -hmm. Loose Democrats were not angry enough to vote against Reagan. Why? Because everybody was doing great. The economy was roaring. Uh, Folks, again, this is not speculation. This actually happened. Reagan won re-election in one of the biggest landslides in presidential election history. He lost one state. One state. And he barely lost that. Now, loosely affiliated Republicans. They may not like Trump either. They may not like Reagan. You're seeing it now with the Never Trump crowd. Mm-hmm. But the economy was rip-roaring due to the, a lot of things like the Reagan tax cuts and the general uh, you know, uh, deregulatory push and the general push for, uh, towards conservative values from, from, the, uh, you know, from the Carter years. Although, to be fair, Carter had a bit of a deregulatory agenda as well. But this led to explosive economic growth and a massive re-election. You know, it's morning in America again. And loosely affiliated Republicans said, yeah, this is my guy. I may not like him, but this is certainly my bag of donuts because my wallet's fatter. And then passionate Republicans showed up because Reagan was generally a conservative on a number of issues. What do we have now? What? No, no, seriously, what do we have now? Mm. You have Trump, I'm going to argue, pushing the most conservative agenda we've seen since Reagan. I, I'm, not, I'm not an acolyte to anyone. Whatever. Mm. I don't care. I'm not really. I, I have been I'm fair on both sides on this, I think. But he, wh- where has he gone wrong? A massive deregulatory agenda, a sound immigration policy, relatively. Still got some work to do there. Not so great on trade. Sounds so far on taxes, although this tax bill has a lot of problems. At least we're getting something done. A lot of problems, and I've discussed them in prior shows. You can listen to that. We can fix this, and there's still work going on, and that's why I'm not willing to throw in the towel yet. 
conservative Supreme Court justices, conservative appellate court justices, conservative circuit court judges. Again, a deregulatory agenda second to none. I talked about the Federal Register the other day shrinking dramatically under Trump. But the GOP establishment can't get this done. Trump wants tax cuts. Trump wanted Obamacare to go away, and they can't do it. So, Joe, you have passionate Republicans saying, well, what am I voting for? I'd volunteer for these idiots and nothing's happening. You have moderate Republicans, loosely tied Republicans to the party, right. saying, well, you know what? I'm kind of tired of this. I'm, I got, I mean, my wallet's getting lighter. Things ain't that great right now. I'm no tax cuts. I'll, whatever, I'll go either way. You have loosely affiliated Democrats saying, hey, Trump, uh, and they move and they just vote against them. And then you have passionate Democrats saying, I really hate Trump. I'm going to show up. How are you going to win an election like that? Folks, you will never win as a Republican Party by doubling down on the entitlement state and redistribution and trying to give away more stuff than the Democrats. Let me sum this up because I got a couple other things I want to get to. Here's the lesson for the GOP out of this. Again, based on the data and the facts I just gave you, you damn well better get off your asses and do something. And you better do something quick. Because I'm telling you right now, if the message you took from this is Trump sucks, you got the really wrong message because they said the exact same thing about Reagan. You need, By the way, you think this is unprecedented? Hold on. I, I had something. Let me show you. This is a tweet from Byron York. Mm. Byron York tweet. Reagan in his first term midterm, because you can say, oh, midterms are going to be ugly. We're going to lose all these seats. Reagan lost 26 seats in 82. Clinton lost 52 seats in 94. Obama lost 63 seats in 2010. Again, you're going to tell me what a bloodbath it's going to be? It's been a bloodbath for the last 40 years. Get something done. The only people that managed to hold on or not get wiped out in their first midterm was HW because his popularity was high. How do you get your popularity high, Joe? You pass something as a party. Gosh. Do something. Do something. Anything. Get something done. Well, not anything, but do something on the tax. I know I've railed against just doing something, so I shouldn't say that. But do something on taxes and get rid of Obamacare. What is hard about this? I'm telling you right now, the message that's going to come out of these swingy districts, I know it. I've lived in them. I ran in one. It's going to be, oh, you need to distance yourself from Trump. I'm telling you that is entirely the wrong message from this. The message you should be taking is you have nothing to run on. Nothing. Because you've done nothing. That's the message. Wouldn't you rather go down fighting? Are you even interested in that? Or are you just going to be suckers and whip dogs? Oh, we lost. It's a blood Get over yourselves, man. Read that piece, by the way, by Christian Adams and PJ Media about running a Bush campaign in the Trump era. It's amazing. It'll be in the show notes today. Sorry about sending it out late last night, by the way, the show notes. I uh, I had a, my daughter manages that, actually, and I had to take her over to jujitsu because I got to leave on a, uh, on a, on a trip um, tomorrow. So my mother-in-law is coming by and everything. So I had a lot. I got a lot going on. I'm headed up to Maryland to... Uh, help out a few folks. I'm still an activist at heart, folks. I never let that go. All right. Today's show brought to you by iTarget. Got a really nice email last night from a guy who says he's buying three of these now. Three for each one, I guess, of his firearms that he owns because this thing is so great. What is iTarget? Folks, iTarget is a way to improve your marksmanship. Listen, anybody can shoot a firearm, okay? Anyone. Matter of fact, bad guys usually suck at shooting firearms. Joe, 
One mm. quick story, folks. <laughs> Go back to the reading segment. Uh, <laughs> Staff Sergeant Matt Eversman, a name probably doesn't ring a bell, but no. when I was in the Secret Service, this is the guy involved in the Black Hawk Down incident. He's, he was played in the movie by Josh Hartnett, uh, the, ca- the the actor Josh Hartnett. Uh, remember Black Hawk Down? The, I you remember know, the, the movie, yeah. Yeah, the incident. The mm-hmm. movie was pretty yeah. good, too. Um, Eversman used to come to the Secret Service Training Center and give a hot wash of what happened there in uh, uh, in the Black Hawk Down Somal, uh, Mogadishu incident. And it was, it was fascinating. Like, every instructor showed up, and we were all like, oh, this guy's just incredible. Like, the story's so amazing. When he, and he talks about all these things, like how they had a, one of them got his wire on his glove caught up, and while he was fast roping down, the wire to his comms equipment got severed. You know, because when you're fast roping down a rope out of a helicopter, mm-hmm. that creates friction. Yeah. And it severed the wire, so he had no communication. I mean, this story, I could go over a thousand things this guy told us that were just amazing, but one of the points he always used to say was how awful the marksmanship of the Somalis shooting at them were. Awful. Yeah, I mean, I think at one point I was talking to him, he said, like, they would unload an entire magazine of of of, of 762, like, AK rounds, right? Yeah. And not hit anybody, thankfully, down the street. Thankfully. Like, they were so <laughs> awful at shooting. So I, I never forgot that. It reminded me, again, of the difference between our guy. I mean, the body count on their side and the body count on our side, thankfully, was relatively low. It was still tragic nonetheless. But our guys are marksmen. They're just not. They don't know how to shoot. So, folks, you have to learn how to shoot, but shoot accurately. iTarget will help you do that. Here's how it works. I have this thing. It's so cool. They sent me one, which was super nice. You drop this laser piece. It looks like a a round into your firearm now. It's obviously not an active round. It's a laser. It's not going to damage your gun in any way, shape, or form. I know military guys who have sent me this. They say they use it. Law enforcement guys. You then get to practice with your firearm in the safety of your own home, and the piece, what you drop into the chamber, will emit a laser. And it comes with a target. You will you will mess with this thing all day. You'll never put it down. And your marksmanship, uh, through a phone app, by the way, tracks your scores. Give it an hour. Watch your marksmanship go through the roof. You'll learn your sight alignment, trigger control. It is a really fantastic piece of equipment. I have a promo code for you, too, if you want to pick it up today. Go to iTargetPro. That's the letter I. iTargetPro.com. That's iTargetPro.com. Use promo code DAN, my first name, D-A-N, you'll get 10% off. Remember, competitive shooters who do this for a living dry fire 10 times more in the time they go to the range. That can get really expensive. Go check it out, itargetpro.com. Okie doke. A couple other stories. Uh, where do I go? With this? Oh! Oh! <laughs> oh! Yeah. Uh, gosh, it's Phil Murphy. Did you see him jumping? The guy who won the... I'm uh, just watching Fox. I got it on in the background. The guy who won the New Jersey governor's race. Huh. By the way, he was a hardcore like Bernie Sanders guy. Good luck with that in New Jersey. You know what? Before I get to the second, I, I do have a story I want to get about. It's about Obamacare. Forgive me, but this is a doozy. I try. I pro- you know, I hate talking about Obamacare, but it keeps. It's like yeah. the gift that keeps on giving. But before I get huh. to that, what folks? What part of like voting in New Jersey are you not getting? You know, the, here's one promising note too from these elections: <laughs> liberalism will inevitably eat itself. It is a forest fire. Liberalism is a cannibal. It eats its own species. There's liberalism won't survive because liberalism can't survive because of very basic rules of arithmetic and mathematics. You cannot spend other people's money forever without forcefully taking it from them. To which, at some point, they will object. Now, the problem liberals have is liberals are motivated by anger to vote frequently. 
They're motivated by anger for all kinds of things. They love playing the victim and they love voting against other people, but they rarely vote for what they believe in themselves. The Mm. radical left will, but most uh, loosely tied people to the Democrat Party won't. Now, they're angry now at Trump, but eventually liberalism bites them in the butt. We've seen it all over the all over the country. Giuliani in New York, Hogan in Maryland, Ehrlich in Maryland, uh, Rauner in Illinois, where Republicans get elected in these states. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up, I just saw this guy. This is what reminded me of this. Murphy, who won the Democrat, who's a hardcore redistributionist. He's, gets, he's a Goldman Sachs guy, too, which is kind of ironic. He gets up on the stage. He makes this big leap like he's happy. That's great. He won the governorship. He should be happy. He's the mm-hmm. governor-elect in New Jersey, right? Yeah. Folks, New Jersey's collapsing. I mean, what part of math don't you get? New Jersey's collapsing. Their pension fund is near completely bankrupt. I just read a report on Zero Hedge, another email list I, I recommend, about Maui. Maui, the pension fund is broke. They're completely broke. Mismanagement of government finances by, and to be, I'm being completely candid here, folks, by liberal policies, not liberal politicians only. You see the distinction I made there, Joe? Yeah. Chris yeah. Christie was a Republican. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Republicans have had no blame in this. Don't Please don't get me wrong. Gotcha. I'm saying liberal, Republicans can follow liberal game plans too. They do it all the time to my chagrin. Liberal policies, in effect, will eventually cannibalize liberals themselves. You know, I, I saw another story this morning covering what Maryland, by the way, was a wipeout. Maryland got wrecked. The Annapolis, did you see this show? What happened in Maryland? Frederick, mm. uh, the Frederick City Mayor, uh, uh, what's his name? Randy McClement. He mm. lost. He was a Republican. Yeah. Mike Panalides was the Republican mayor of Annapolis. He lost. In a, they lost in wipeouts, by the way. They got crushed. They lost alderman spots. Um, they lost uh, council spots. They just got smoked. Um, they got crushed yesterday, the Republicans in Maryland, which is a bad sign, by the way, for Larry Hogan. But conveniently, Joe, in the same piece by a liberal Democratic writer, I read about Republicans fleeing, I mean, excuse me, people fleeing from Montgomery County into Frederick City to overturn elections. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but in Maryland people, it means a lot. Mm. Frederick County used to be Mountain Maryland. Mm-hmm. It's become an urbanized now. Yeah, but Frederick County used to, be reli- used to be reliably red. Used to be a blood red county in Maryland. Frederick County is just north of Montgomery County, which is the one of the bluest county counties in the history of humankind. It is about as blue as Mao's China. <laughs> right, Joe? Am I making yeah. this up? Nah, no, it's blue, man. Montgomery County. It is as blue. It is. I don't think there's a Republican left standing in, Repub- in, in Montgomery County. Now, why is Frederick, Frederick uh, County turning blue? Because people are moving out of Montgomery County because they're liberals and they're ruining the place. Taxes are through the roof and people don't want to pay them. So now they move up to Frederick. And what do they do in Frederick, Joe? They vote Democrat. This is what's happening. Democrats don't, but they're motivated purely by anger, not by their own issues, because they don't stay where they vote for policies to be implemented. They vote for them and then leave. You don't believe me? Did you? Uh, you know what? The article's not up at Conservative Review anymore, which really upsets me, by the way. But I wrote an article. It may pop up on one of your Google searches somewhere, but it was called Florida and Texas Win Again. And I did an analysis with the help of my friend Jim Pettit of IRS data, of people taking their salary, their report to the IRS, Joe, and leaving, yeah. moving out of a state. We, we did a whole show on this. Remember a while ago? Yeah. This was yeah, a long yeah. time ago, about a year ago. Yeah. And I showed you through IRS data that if Democrat policies are so popular, liberal policies, why are people evacuating those states en masse? 
Not one at a time, Joe. Tens of thousands of people evacuating New York, New Jersey, California, Illinois, Connecticut. It's, it's universal across liberal states. And where are they going? Florida, Texas, Nevada. I mean, states that have generally more Republican-leaning policies on taxes. I mean, if your policies are so popular, why are people leaving counties and states where your policies are actually enacted? This is, again, another long-term talk-you-off-the-ledge moment. It stinks because we're going to have to deal with liberalism in the short term, especially in Virginia now. By the way, folks, I think it's time to get out of Virginia. I'm serious. Virginia is turning into <laughs> Maryland light. It really yeah. is. I got a lot of friends up there, but that place is lost. I'm sorry. You know, it's time to get out. I mean, when you, if you're there, you got to fight. I fought in Maryland. But if you can't leave, you know, you never give up the fight. But I'm telling you, the state, the, the, the logistics there aren't working very well. But they don't vote for their own policies, folks. They vote with their feet. They leave. And then they bring their crap somewhere else. Okay, this is the story I was telling you about Obamacare. Sorry about that little... But I saw this guy jump on stage celebrating, and I'm like, what is he celebrating? He's bankrupt. <laughs> His state is totally bankrupt. Now he's threatening to bankrupt it even quicker. Oh, hey, that's great. <laughs> All right. So uh, article in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, pretty fascinating about John Koskinen, the IRS commissioner, who has got to be one of the most uh, reviled men in America. This is the, the guy who... I mean, he legitimately looks like Dr. Evil. Uh, just look him up, Koskinen. He's the guy who has stonewalled every investigation into the IRS targeting conservative groups, which, by the way, they just paid a massive penalty on and had to apologize for because they now acknowledge it happened, despite Obama saying there wasn't a sliver of corruption in the IRS. Really? Why'd they just pay a $3 million fine then acknowledging there was more than a sliver of corruption? Because there was. Now, this is the doozy. So Koskinen, he's headed out the door. He's going to leave now. Mm-hmm. Right before he leaves, he thinks he's sticking it to you. He is, but this guy seems like a particularly vindictive fellow. He's walking out the door, Joe, and he is given the double barrel middle finger, right, to America. What did he do? Now, for the last couple of years, the IRS has not enforced the employer mandate through the IRS. What is the employer mandate? If you are an employer out there with 50 or more employees, you have to buy Obamacare compliant plans right. for your employees. You right. tracking, Joe? Yeah. Now, there are tens of thousands of companies that haven't done that. Mm-hmm. They either don't have the finances, they don't have the money, they just don't have the capability to buy those plans, and they are employers with 51, 100, it doesn't matter, 50 or more, okay? Now, the IRS under Obama was relatively hesitant to do anything about it. So they didn't do it. They, To be candid, Joe, they didn't do anything. Yeah. If you didn't buy the Obamacare-compliant plans, you were still in violation of the law, Obamacare, but nothing really happened. Now, Koskinen's headed out the door, and as a big mm, you to America, he is now mandated that the IRS send letters to all these businesses, and the estimates now are tens of thousands of businesses. You, One of you listening is going to get this letter. Email me when you get it, which is going to say you owe probably tens of thousands of dollars in fines right now. The estimates to cost a small business show is an astonishing $13 billion now. It's going to be now. You may say, what's the good news, Dan? That sounds like uh, horrible news. No, I don't think so, folks. I don't. I'll tell you why. This was You were going to get hammered with this anyway. And I don't wish, obviously, evil on anyone. But until America understands what Obamacare really is, there is absolutely no way to get rid of it. I think this is good news. 
Mm. I think Koskinen's letters, when they start arriving in tens of thousands of small businesses across America, and these companies find out they have a ten and fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollar bill they have to pay, and they don't have it, and they walk into their employees and say, "Hey, fellas, ladies, I got bad news. If something doesn't change quick, we're going to have to start talking pay cuts or layoffs." You know what's going to happen? Just mm. folks, keep in mind. You may say, "Well, Dan, you're wishing evil." So, for a political point, F- folks, it was going to happen. This was going to happen either now or next year. This is the law. This is what Obamacare is. What, you didn't know? What's going to happen, Joe? Now, all of a sudden, people are going to be pressured to call their legislators and go, hey, listen, daddy-o, I just got a bill for 20 grand. You want me firing people in your district? Now, all of a sudden, maybe these phony, fake, fraud rhinos who don't want to do squat about Obamacare, maybe now if they realize they're going to lose their seats because of pressure from local businesses, maybe now they'll turn around and do something now that the costs of Obamacare, Joe, are actually real. Make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, wake up call, baby. You're damn right it's a wake up call. Folks, this was going to happen. Rip the Band-Aid off. Realize right now the law that is in effect. Realize it and get rid of it, and then maybe the fines will go away. But make no mistake, you're going to pay. Under Obamacare, you're either going to pay now or you're going to pay later, but oh, you're going to pay. And we're all going to get hurt. All right, today's show also brought to you by our buddies at Brickhouse Nutrition. You know, as I told as I uh, told you yesterday in my long extended whining about my <laughs> my body falling apart. And by the way, I went to jujitsu last night too, which is really like comical. I got people emailing me now, the nicest people. Please, please take care of yourself. Thank you. I appreciate it. But I'm just a hardhead. I went to jujitsu last night with my daughter. But thank God for Dawn to Dust. This is such a great product. Uh, Brickhouse Nutrition is one of my early sponsors. They produce some of the best nutrition products I've ever seen, I've ever taken. Well, about halfway through our sponsorship, they said, Dan, what do you think of an energy product? And I've said this before. I was not, I, I was not crazy about the idea initially. I said, oh, this product market's polluted with energy drinks and stuff. And, you know, people just drink coffee. And I remember Miles saying, no, no, no. We did it different. And again, I was skeptical until he sent me a bottle. And my wife came back from a yoga class and went, this stuff is awesome. I know Joe likes it, too. I do, yeah. It's time. Joe needs it. Believe me, he gets up at like 1 o'clock in the morning. Folks, it's a time-release energy pill. Time release gives you about 10 hours of mood elevation and energy. You don't have to worry about these highs and lows. The nice part about it is you feel good and you even forgot you took it. You, you forgot you took the product. It's that good. Go give it a shot. It's called Dawn to Dusk. It's available at BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. That's BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. It's not just for CrossFitters and mixed martial arts guys. If you're a recreational workout person, you're a CEO, uh, you know, yet you're, you're working an assembly line, blue collar, white collar, you need to get through your day, go give it a shot. BrickHouseNutrition.com slash Dan. Check out Dawn to Dust today. You won't regret it. Send me your reviews. They're always good. That's how confident. I give out my own email, Daniel at Bongino, because I know people will send me good stuff. I send them right on to Miles, by the way. All right. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is a great article I read. I'll, I'll close out with this one. Daily Signal has a really terrific piece by Walter Williams. Uh, you know that throughout the week, I've been talking about the 100-year anniversary of the communist revolution yeah, and how communism is by by any reasonable objective fact-based measure, the greatest catastrophe in human history. Mm-hmm. I mean that folks, the greatest catastrophe in human history as a uh, emailer uh, eloquently stated, uh, you know, cited to me yesterday. He said, you know, you got the numbers wrong. He said, you said 65 million dead. It's actually closer to a hundred million. And he's right. 
Um, I read another piece that confirmed that 65 million may be the war dead and the direct impact, but the indirect impact of communism, Joe, is about 100 million dead, Hmm. which makes it by far the greatest catastrophe in human history. So there have been a number of really high quality articles out this week that I saw. And I've been trying to pick through a couple that I can put in the show notes every day. And I found one today that's simple, short, sweet, and really, really good, written by Walter Williams, who is just the genius. I have the world of respect for Walter Williams. It's at the Daily Signal. Again, I'll put it in the show notes. Here's the gist of the piece. And uh, it's it's the central flaw, the the core flaw in socialism and communism, and frankly, even you know big government uh, liberalism today. And that is the knowledge problem, Joe. The whole core of communism and socialism was the idea that government bureaucrats and Joe, really smart people can plan an economy better than free markets can. In other words, oh, you know, we're just going to get a sock expert and he's going to tell us how many socks we need in society. Why let these rapacious capitalist pigs, you know, why let them own the sock industry? The government should own the sock industry because everybody should have socks. And we're just going to plan how many socks because we're going to look at the data and we're going to figure out how many socks we all need. And that's going to be the better way to allocate scarce resources. Well, what's the core problem with that? The core problem that is inescapable, folks, is the knowledge problem. One sock expert is never going to replace the knowledge of 300 million Americans that wear socks. Now, Williams gives a fantastic analogy I hadn't thought of. And again, it's a short piece, so please read it. He says, let's look at the traffic light situation in the United States. This is brilliant. He says, there are roughly, what's the number, 100 million traffic signals in the United States. I didn't know that. That's a lot. So it's it's in the piece there. He said, that seems like a pretty simple problem, right? He goes, let's not even... So his point is, Joe, let's give the socialists an easy one. Let's not even make it hard, right? right. Forget about something like healthcare. You know, <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. The government's already trying to... Man- That's unbelievably complicated. Let's give them something simple, like traffic signals. And there are two ways to manage traffic signals. You can manage it locally with a bunch of free people deciding where traffic signals go, when they need them, how long they should be timed. Right, Joe? All right. Or you can have a federal central government planner or a group of planners, say a a traffic light bureau of 20 people that can plan every traffic signal across the United States. Come on. This can't be that hard. Right, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. I know. See, by the tone of your voice, I get you're sensing my sarcasm here. Folks, do you realize how in pot, this is a simple issue like traffic signals, but it's only simple for you. It's not simple for the bureaucrats in DC. And I thought about this. There's a traffic signal. When you come out of my neighborhood, you make a right, you go down this long road. There's a traffic signal at the end. I know. The traffic signal is timed differently for different times of the day because the school gets out. Mm Mm-hmm. The traffic signals time differently also because there's crossing guards at that intersection. The traffic signal has a turning lane. The traffic signal... Now, now, what I'm getting at is how did we know to time the we being us, the locals who voted for people? We did this locally, right? Yeah. How did we know and push the locals to time that traffic signal for certain times of the day? Well, you use that road. That's Because why. we use that road and our kids go to school there. That's yeah. why. Do you really think a bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. has any knowledge whatsoever about the traffic signal on your corner and the unique traffic circumstances there? Do you think he has any idea? He has none. There's a knowledge problem there. 
Mm. This guy, and do you see how the knowledge problem, here's the first fork of the knowledge problem, Joe. The first fork of the knowledge problem is he's not local. He has no knowledge. You see what I'm saying? There's a knowledge vacuum. He doesn't know anything, but there's another fork to the knowledge problem. The other fork is the opposite. You're saying, what do you mean? He has too much knowledge. What are you saying? And you just said he has no knowledge. No, 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 no. He has too much knowledge. It's just the wrong kind. The guy on the bureaucratic traffic signal board in Washington, in the new socialist government of Washington, D.C., he has studied traffic signals his entire life, Joe. He has read every book on traffic signals, Mm -hmm. on roundabouts, on timing, everything, on the color they should be, on how bright they should be, on if they should turn off at night, if they should blink red, if they should stay red. He knows everything in the world about traffic signals. He has all the knowledge contained in all the books on traffic signals out there. Mm-hmm. What's the problem? He still doesn't know jack squat about the traffic <laughs> signal on your corner. He don't know anything. He doesn't know when your kids get out of school. He doesn't know what the traffic flow is. He doesn't know. What is he going to commission a study on every corner in America? He doesn't know. He has knowledge. He has the wrong kind of knowledge. The right knowledge are the people on the ground who say, hey, listen, that traffic signal that needs to be a little longer during the day to let the traffic flow so parents can pick up their kids. That's the right kind of knowledge. It matters. Read the piece, though. It's really, really good. He gives another example, too, about apples. Mm. How do you like them apples? Which is really, really smart, really good about the knowledge problem there, too. So go check it out. That'll all be available at Bongino.com. I understand if you don't want to subscribe to the email list. I get it. I get a lot of emails, too. But I promise we don't spam you. We don't sell your email list. Matter of fact, I just got a solicitation the other day, and we turned that down. So uh, don't worry about that. But uh, go to my uh, website, Bongino.com. Subscribe to the email list. I'll send you these articles. They're really, really good. All right, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you all tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.